This is Wading Deep, a podcast that explores the connection between environmental justice and race. Racism pollutes our people and land. Resilience, our strength of spirit and hand. Resurrection, our healing, made whole we stand. I'm your host, the Reverend Jamon Taylor, rector at St. Ambrose Episcopal Church, Raleigh, North Carolina, a congregation with a long history of challenging environmental racism. I am honored to welcome today's guest, Derek Beasley, multidisciplinary artist, cultural organizer, public servant. Welcome, Derek. Good morning. Good morning. How you doing? Everything's going fine. I appreciate um, your artistic mind and and your community uh, cultural awareness and activism. So I'm excited about today's uh, conversation. How would you describe environmental racism in your own words? That's that's a big question uh, that I think I'll um, just try to give us distilled an answer to as possible. Um, to me, it's, it's the disproportionate uh, impact on Black folks, other marginalized communities um, through the environment. Um, I think about, um, you know, as a human, as, as, a, as a human race, um, we, ha- we are not necessarily taking care of our planet as we should. Um, and it's always going to come back to us, right? Um, <laughs> and to me, the, the environmental racism part is that it comes back to us uh, more um, than it does other communities. Um, but as I was reading this question, um, uh, I thought about something maybe I hadn't thought about before, but it's, it, I think it also, to me, one of the impacts of environmental racism or injustice is also a kind of a broken relationship with the planet. Um, and so, you know, I think about growing up as a black person here in the South and the different stigmas that um, I've been kind of taught to carry or that I've seen perpetuated in, in, in our community um, at times. Um, and uh, just how we're taught to engage in the environment, um, or rather, even not given the opportunity to engage in the environment, um, uh, whether it be in the classroom, whether it be in other extracurricular activities, with the exception of doing, you know, sports activities. Um, it wasn't until, you know, um, I got a little older that I was really uh, kind of able to shift that paradigm for myself. Um, and so I think about some of the impacts uh, environmental racism. It's not just um, the it's not just our communities being in places with uh, you know with the with various um, uh, negative impacts like on, on, in terms of health uh, wellness. It's, it's also our our being separated from the environment in such a way that keeps us from being able to gain the benefits. Um, like you were saying earlier, that some of the healing benefits of being in nature, uh, being with nature. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there. and we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get a little deeper, I'm sure. 
No, I pre- appreciate what you said, particularly around broken relationships. Um, just from a theological Christian standpoint, um, the definition of sin is broken relationships. So it's not so much about what you do. People hear sin and think, well, you did something wrong. It's really about broken relationships. And so when you talked about people who have been historically marginalized and oppressed and the broken relationship with nature, really that's been forced on us by the hand of the oppressor. I mean, a Christian community, we call that sin because of the broken relationship. We, we are outside of relationship with nature, which is an interesting conundrum for, for Black folk because, I mean, we, by definition, are people of nature. Um, you go back to the, the African continent, of course, being um, in perfect harmony with nature. Of course, then the, uh, the Mayafa uh, of the, the transatlantic slave trade, the millions of Africans being brought to the Western Hemisphere, um, being forced into agriculture, um, working with nature, communing with nature. And then religious context of um, Black churches being formed in nature under trees, this, this belief that the divine presence was greater under trees. And you have that history of being um, close to nature, but then the oppressor separating. Um, uh, you know, it's a, it's a forced divorce, and it shouldn't be that way. So I want you to talk a little bit about your art. Yeah. So, you know, I'm I'm a multidisciplinary artist. Um, I'm a photographer, collage artist. I just started oil painting last week. (laughs) Um, I'm also, uh, I do some sculptural work, um, uh, multi uh, media sculpture. um, And, um, you know, I think my art is really centered around, if I was to give one core, kind of one word that's really the core of my work, I would say possibilities. Um, and uh, more recently, and when I say recently, I guess really I'm saying the last three or four or five years, uh, um, my, it, it's been centered around possibilities um, in relation to our to Black folks and nature. Um, and what that relationship could could possibly look like um, in a in a future, and so it, it is Afrofuturistic. Uh, it is inherently Afrofuturistic because imagining possibilities of Black folks um, in our relationship with nature. Um, uh, I also use uh, um, different uh, kind of interstellar phenomena to think about our Black experience. Um, uh, here on earth um and you could say i I try to find those fractal experiences so thinking about um whether it's black holes and um the nature of them and 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 thinking about gravity and uh, uh, and how that then reflects down on our experience here on earth i think about um you know the conditions for growth um and what type of uh, natural conditions are needed to to grow um, and to change. Um, I think about the inevitability of change um, as being kind of a sign of human life (laughs) or a sign of life in general. Um, And so, uh, but more recently I've been thinking about um, what does it mean for us to be in a reciprocal relationship with the planet that we we live on? What does it mean for us to think of ourselves not as human beings apart from nature, but 
human beings uh, as nature um, and, and um, taking ourselves off of kind of this, uh, uh, this total, this uh, taking ourselves out of this kind of authority figure in nature that needs to, to dominate and, and, and position ourselves as um, a part of. So I think that, that's been my, um, that's been my focus more recently. Um, and think about, you know, really using what I call speculative technologies <laughs> to, to reimagine what those futures could look like. So whether that be um, creating habitats that don't exist, that, that are places where we live uh, um, in better community with nature, um, places where we live um, and kind of more wholeness as human beings um, and so what is what you know what what would we need in a habitat uh, that that would give us that experience, um, particularly as we face uh, climate change and as we we face uh, global warming and uh, global weirding of of, of weather, um, you know how do we survive um, this next phase of of being on Earth that you know in terms of climate change it, it may be kind of too late, it's too, it is too late to reverse what we've done, uh, but, but there are possibilities and how we can live moving forward that I think um, are better than we than we live now. So yeah, that's, I would say in short, but that wasn't short at all, but that's, <laughs> that's the direction my art is going right now. Wow, uh, you said, said a lot of powerful things. Um, one of the things you said near the end, which is about um, relationship, and how the goal is to be in partnership with nature um, and not dominate. One of the things, at least in the Christian tradition, we're becoming more aware um, is the word dominate. And the root of the, the word dominate is really has to do with the household. So you are in relationship. You don't dominate as in over, but partner with. Um, and so I would say in the last half century Christian theology has gone back to the original meaning of um, dominate when it talks about nature, which is partnership. Think about from the Greek oikos, which means the same household, that we're in the same household with nature, not power over, uh, rather partner with. Um, and then when you talked about, uh, you know, your art centered around possibility and relationship to black folk and nature, um, you know, Afro uh, futurists with nature. Um, when you were talking about the fractal experience, I thought about the warm, the, the wormhole. And recently I gave a lecture um, to a group of clergy and I, I titled my lecture, um, Endarkenment as Divine Revelation. Now we're used to the, the phrase enlightenment. There's a period in history um, around the enlightenment. We even use the, the phrase to be enlightened, meaning to gain, gain new information or new knowledge. Um, and I put forth this idea that actually endarkenment is part of the divine experience. And one of the things we've seen in the past half millennia in Christianity is to racialize um, use of dualistic language that we find in scripture, that light is good, is European, is God, which is white in that context. Uh, dark is black, 
African, devil, and bad. Um, and so we have the association that light is God and dark is devil and bad. But when we look at um, scripture, um, divine endarkenment, um, we talk about divine revelation in this dark experience. Um, Moses receiving the Ten Commandments and God inviting Moses into this thick darkness. Um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ happening in thick darkness um, of the tomb early in the morning. Uh, the, the creation of, of the temple, the Jewish temple, um, and, and King Solomon hearing God say, I will dwell in thick darkness of, of this temple. And so one of the things we talked about in Darkenman, I did a, a nod um, to um, uh, the Afrophysicist, um, astrophysicist, um, John Polkinghorne, who happens to be an Anglican priest, talking about wormholes, this idea you can move from one reality to the next. And I connected that to this in darkenment because when we look at the biblical context around dark, it's really these dark spaces that allow you to move into two different realities. Um, Jesus Christ moving from death to life um, in the dark. Moses receiving the divine law moving from really this earthly realm into this heavenly realm in the dark. Um, and so you're talking about, you know, being Afro-futurist uh, and that nature component, those fractal experiences. I think there is a, is a resonance there um, with, I would say, the, the Christian experience, although it, it's being lifted up more now, particularly around endarkenment and its connection uh, with, with wormhole. And so, you know, you talk about speculative technologies. I think all of this um, it's just wonderful, you know, around, <laughs> around this, the music standpoint, I could think about, you know, 1990s Coolio fantastic voyage. And we go back to the seventies, some, some, uh, George Clinton and some P funk, just, you know, just that, that futuristic, um, view. And even, you know, you could say Kendrick Lamar in more current day, um, has that tilt to his, to his music. So, yeah, yeah. It, it, you can you can go on and talk more about, um, you know, around possibilities, uh, black folk in nature, speculative technologies. You know, what what does yeah. that look like in Raleigh and Walnut <laughs> Creek where you've done some some artwork? Yeah. How, speak on that a little bit. So one, I just want to say I've been obsessed with darkness for the last three years as well uh, and, and reframing what it means. Um, and my personal experiences um, where I found myself in what felt like darkness, um, but still maintaining an optimism around what's possible. Um, and even recognizing that it might even be necessary for me to enter this darkness before I can transform or, or find whatever's next for me in, in, in my life. And um, realizing that, <laughs> you know, that's just a part, that's just like a part of this cycle. It's like, all right, you want to transform, well, bro, it's gonna get a little dark. Um, and that's fine. Uh, and actually it's good. Uh, and, um, and to, before I get to your question, you know, just thinking that there's like that connection, right? That fractal connection, like what happens in the darkness and space in a black hole is, um, well, we don't know exactly, but we know, you know, the gravity is going to change you. Um, and it's going to maybe even pull you apart. Um, but on the other end, you know, uh, there's a transformation that can happen and the particles that can escape a black hole and who knows what, the, what they'll what they'll become, right? Um, and then on like a planetary level, 
you know, you think about on the backside of a tree or in the shadiest parts of the forest is where you find the most interesting growth, at least where you find your moss and your 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 mycelium, you know, your, your mushrooms and and all of the things that, you know, we're learning more and more about the transformative properties of these things and um, the intricacy of these like mycelial networks that are like similar to our brain. It's like, oh, this is where the most complex organisms on earth are. They're, they're coming out of the darkness. Um, and so, you know, there's really beauty in that and transformation possibility. And so, um, but your question around some of these speculative technologies that I've been thinking about more recently, um, uh, right now I'm working on, uh, it's a monolith, which is kind of a nod to uh, a monolith, the monolith they used in um, Space Odyssey 2001, which is one of my favorite science fiction um, pieces. Um, but if you, if you remember the movie, you've seen this, this monolith that's, that's on earth throughout time. And it's this, this black kind of post mm -hmm. that is yep. the catalyst for the next stage in evolution of mankind, the next stage in, in our, of our evolution as beings uh, beyond being mankind or humankind rather. Uh, and so um, I decided, I thought that that would be an interesting thing to place uh, as this artifact uh, at the Wetlands Center that I was commissioned to do a sculpture um, as a nod to uh, our relationship, Black folks, particularly in that neighborhood uh, in Southeast Raleigh, and uh, our relationship to transforming and with the with nature and using nature as a transformative healing uh, element. Um, and so as we, you know, so the, the monolith is sitting in this new uh, stormwater uh, catchment um, uh, facility that, that has been built as a way to kind of heal and continue to filter water to heal this, uh, the natural wetland that exists. Um, and so that just, you know, as we were talking before and, I, and you were telling me so much about the history of this neighborhood and how uh, Black folks have been organizing and advocating to um, around this, this, this land, um, both to preserve the people and to preserve the land. Um, and just what it could, it, it just reminded me of the possibilities of what it could look like when we are in relationship um, with the land, particularly the wetland, which is another one of those dark, marshy places. Uh, but as but as we're learning as environmentalists and, and the mainstream is learning more that this, these these wetlands actually do the hardest work <laughs> in terms of cleaning our environment. They're the most important, some of the most important ecosystems exist in, in these wetlands, these natural wetlands. And so. Um, I thought that that was just an amazing kind of juxtaposition of this community and this wetland. Um, and even historically, we think about that as like being an undesirable place to live. But now it's like, oh wait, actually, <laughs> actually this is a place where uh, so much magic is happening. And to think about how black folks have been in relationship with this place, I think is amazing. And so the monolith is just a nod to those possibilities. Um, and it'll be something that evolves over time. I'm planning some, uh, gonna plant some native species around, finding species to kind of take over this, this what, what'll be like an artifact. Um, and as well as having some, uh, an educational piece on the back uh, that both speaks to the history and the, uh, of, the, of this neighborhood's action around the wetland, as well as some of the technical aspects of the stormwater project. So, um, that'll be installed 
sometime this fall, 2022. Um, and I'm really excited uh, because I think, uh, you know, we don't often get monuments to our relationship with nature, but <laughs> as Black folks, I don't know that I've, I'm trying to think if I've ever personally seen one. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but uh, I don't think I've personally ever seen a, a monument mm-hmm. to black folks relationship with nature um outside of literature um and so i'm really excited to be a part of this project you know it's been a a great opportunity to to speak with you and others um to help inform you know uh the design i appreciate what you what you said about um really taking us from the black hole um down to earth and, and then the root system and trees. Um, I remember reading an, an article um, talking about how trees communicate and uh, mm-hmm. the root and extra root network underground is important. And, and what science is now learning, um, particularly research done in Japan around forest bathing and how trees communicate mm-hmm. is that that root system is used to support for trees to support each other and so mm-hmm. really it's the reversal of darwin darwin um you know survival of the fittest and and what was once believed true survival of the fittest and darwinism as it relates to trees is not true that trees actually through their root system um and basically quote unquote nerve endings support mm-hmm. each other and and one interesting find was a stump that had been uh, is a felled tree for years, I think uh, maybe a hundred years. And the scientists examined the tree, they found out it was living. And it was living because the trees around it were supplying nutrients to that tree. Um, and that trees, um, you know, have the ability to send sap um, to wounded parts of, of the tree. And also um, trees have the ability to warn warn other trees of impending dangers such as um, fire. So all of this communication, and I just think it's genius from your standpoint to make those connection, to really give people a a new reality, to to open up new possibility, as you talked about. You know, we've been um, conditioned to think that, you know, Black is bad. One of the, the the favorite scenes from Malcolm X to me um, is when a brother sits down with then Malcolm Little in prison and opens up a dictionary and they look at the word black uh, and dark and all of the images with black and dark are negative. And they turn to the dictionary and look up white and all those images are positive. Um, so, yeah, I think we do need to talk more about possibilities and changing folks narrative. And you're doing that through art which is so powerful, which is so powerful. Derek, I want to thank you for taking time to to talk with us today. Always a pleasure being with you. Indeed, indeed. It's been a pleasure to uh, chat with you. The Wading Deep Podcast comes to you from a place we affectionately call the Bros, St. Ambrose Episcopal Church, Raleigh, North Carolina. Follow us on Facebook, YouTube, The Bros NC on Twitter, 
and the bros 1868 on Instagram. I am your host, the Reverend Jamond Taylor. Gods are going to trouble the water of environmental racism, resurrecting a river of life clear as crystal. Shalom. Salam. Peace.